electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the state of stocks, whether it is time to be cautious or bullish. Simple question, difficult answer, though, and in large part depends who you ask, as we have learned right here even with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today to continue that conversation, Bryn Talkington, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal, and Josh Brown. Let's check the uh, markets. Carl just said S&P back above 4,500, right at that spot now. So we took a break yesterday, and we're bouncing back today after that sell-off. Dow is up 257, 233 is the yield on the 10-year note. We're still pacing for a weekly loss for the Dow, but we'll see what happens between today and tomorrow and whether this momentum that we thought we had can actually stick around. Here's what I want to do. I ask you all this question. Is it time to be cautious? Is it time to be bullish? And I want you to listen to two pieces of sound, one with our very own Josh Brown, the other with Tom Lee, from conversations I had yesterday on overtime. Then we can react on the other side. What does history tell us about year three of a bull market? It's not great. It's an average return of about 5%. That's not the end of the world either. So if this is the year that we have to digest a double in the S&P for most investors who have been around, that's okay. I don't think you could rule out new highs later this year. If I have to bet, I think we revisit those lows from, from late February, and quite frankly, very good chance that we take them out. If we avoid recession, which is our belief, then stocks have discounted more than a recession. Because when we look at investor positioning, Institutionally, they have more cash than they did in 2009. Uh, consumer confidence is as low as it was in 2009. And then if you look at retail sentiment, it's as bad as 2009. So people are pricing in, uh, I think, a calamitous scenario. And that's when stocks can start to rally. Mr. All-In, Farmer Jim, whose points do you agree with more? Well, it's not going to surprise you that I agree with Tom's. And it's, it's not because Josh is wrong. There's no way to say that Josh is wrong. Um, you know, I think about what you had with Carl Icahn two days ago on overtime where he said short-term predictions, nobody can make them. So, of course, there's a chance we retest the lows. But here's the main point. Think about what the market's done over the last two weeks. It has absolutely ripped higher by nine percentage points as the Fed has twice gotten more hawkish. First, last week when they raised rates and they raised the dot plot significantly. And then again, Monday, I think it was Monday when Bullard went to 3% and Powell said 50 basis points. I mean, he kind of said 50 basis points is what's coming, right? And the market is ripping in the face of that. I have learned to respect what the market is telling me. And I believe what the market is telling me. And I can't say this with certainty, but Tom Lee will tell you that inflation was rolling over before Ukraine. He'll point to the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. He'll point to freight indexes like the cash freight index. 
And I think he's right. And I think the market gets that. I think the market gets that while West Texas Intermediate is at $114 a barrel, a lot of other inflation numbers are rolling over. And last thing I'll say on this, 2011 to 2014, West Texas Intermediate comfortably hung out above $100 a barrel and the economy expanded. So I'm with Tom Lee, economic expansion, and I really don't think we're going to go back to those lows of February 24th. So, Josh, are we ripping in the face of all of that news about rates and how aggressive we think the Fed is going to be? Or were we simply oversold? We simply have short covering. And at some point, it's going to run out of steam, uh, out of steam when reality smacks us in the face. Well, we were massively we were massively oversold in the short term. And I'm not using oversold the way a lot of people use it on TV as like a descriptive adjective. It's actually a statistic. When you look at relative strength, we were statistically oversold on any time frame, any way that you want to view that metric. And so the bounce itself isn't shocking. I do think the degree to which we've bounced, it's almost like a vertical line straight up is what what is surprising and that seems to be continuing today and again for most investors that's great however there are two worlds ahead of us and if you tell me you have high conviction in in, in which of these two worlds we're about to see well then i would tell you you're, you're kidding yourself in one world uh the ukrainians continue to drive the russians back which they have been doing and there are peace talks and those peace talks go well and Vladimir gets enough to say that he won and pulls out. And there's a little bit of normalization and commodity stuff, maybe a little bit of an ease in supply chain, a big boost for sentiment. And we go back to taking out new highs. That's one world. And that definitely could happen. So you don't want to get too bearish here because that has been the resolution of a lot of these types of conflicts historically. There's another universe, another world. And I, I shudder to consider the possibility uh, but let's all be very honest with ourselves. There are trading algorithms right now, um, if then, being written in the event that the words dirty bomb comes across the tape, in the event that the words chemical attack comes across the tape. I'm not a geopolitical expert. You shouldn't listen to my opinion of whether or not that's possible, but I would tell you that the experts think not only is it possible, they interviewed Joe Biden on the White House lawn about his opinion of whether it's possible. And he said, yes. So that is a universe that also exists. And I don't know which one of those we're headed for. I just know there is no reason whatsoever right now for the, the average investor to be acting as though they have all the conviction in the world in either one of those so cases. So let's do what we be do. Be smart, preserve flexibility, preserve optionality. Don't be a hero. So let, let's let's do what what we do, what investors do, Jason Snipe. They play the probabilities. They place their bets based on what probability they see to an outcome that they think could happen. Everything Josh said is right. At the end of the day, this entire conversation really just boils down to where earnings are going to be. They're either going to be good. They're either not going to be good. They're either going to justify valuations in stocks or they're going to justify the fact that valuations need to reset even further, I point to a note today. Barclays Global Outlook, for the first time in two years, we are not overweight global equities over fixed income. One of the reasons, they say, U.S. and European equities are unlikely to report sharp earnings upside surprises for the next few quarters. Is that a fact? Yeah. 
So obviously there's there's great points on both sides. And I think where I reside in terms of just the earnings story and just, just the macro backdrop going forward, I'm more cautious than I'm bullish. I think Josh makes a great point in just overall conviction. It's hard to be convicted in a market where we're facing raging inflation. QT is underway. Obviously, they're trying to front load um, a lot of the rate hikes here. And we have a consumer that is strong, but I think it could potentially be heading on a collision course to demand destruction, where you know the consumer is just saying, pushing back and saying, we're no longer going to absorb uh, some of the pricing pressures and the input costs that we have over the last couple quarters, uh, really over the last year. And, and I know there's pent up demand and we talk about that a lot and there's trillions of dollars on the sideline, but I am concerned about, and also the geopolitical events, I'm, I'm concerned about that as well. We, there is no real off ramp that is in clear view at this point. And I do think earnings revisions will come back in. Obviously GDP revisions have come in. So there, there's concern. Uh, across the tape, but I think obviously with concern, there's also opportunities that are starting to present themselves. So I'm, I'm more cautious than I am bearish, and I think it's important to distinguish the difference between the two. Understood. So, Bryn, you know, one of the other things that Barclay says today in that provocative note is that valuations are also likely to be challenged by central banks tightening aggressively. Jim would make the argument that no, they're not. They're, they're going to, they may tighten aggressively. But that doesn't mean that valuations necessarily need to reset further because the economy is going to be strong enough to withstand whatever the Fed is going to do. And he's made that case on numerous occasions, pointing to various metrics that he's witnessed today in his own eyes. And he thinks they're going to hold up over a period of weeks, if not months, which needs to happen to be supportive of his idea. Is he going to be right? So I think, you know, Barclays and I've talked about this before about valuations. Um, valuations have zero predictive power over the following one-year return. So I, I think he put that to the side and ign ignore that data point. I think that also on the Barclays point, it's interesting that their, their overweight bonds are going more to a bond positioning. The Barclays Ag, or the Bloomberg Barclays Ag, from high to low, peak to trough right now, is down a little over 8%. The S&P, I think, is down around 6%. And so bonds have not been a friend to investors, longer duration bonds. And Scott, we've only had one rate hike. So if I have to choose between stocks, and we'll talk about which kind of stocks in a second, versus longer duration bonds, I totally disagree with Barclays. I'll take the volatility and uncertainty of stocks right now for that known, I think, known downside of long duration bonds. And, you know, energy is still the only sector up for the year. So it's been challenging across the board. I think energy is up around 40 percent, while every other sector is down, you know, for a good reason, between single and double for a digits. reason. Right. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Oil prices have gone so, parabolic. So I'm, yeah. Yeah, they have. They have for, for the right reason. I'm in like as an asset allocator, I'm in, I'm in Josh's camp that, you know, over the last three years, you've seen annual returns of, you know, plus 30, plus 18, plus what, 28. And the, the five-year and 10-year returns for both the S&P and NASDAQ have been stellar. And so I try to manage our clients' expectations that if the market was flat this year, I think that would be a win. Because we have so many, not just possibilities, but probabilities of really bad things that can happen. And I continue to think through, we are 70% consumer-driven economy. And right, looking in the hindsight, the consumer is strong, but we have this trifecta of high housing or rental rates, pick your poison. We have high food inflation, that's getting higher, and we have high energy cost. And then on top of that, you've got 
Fed tightening and QT, and then 10 other things. So I agree with Josh, you know, don't be a hero. Pick your allocation that you can stick with, be diversified. Because I don't think you can have a caveat if, and say, the caveat is if we don't have a recession, I think that we're in just really precarious times. And so I would be more defensive um, in my equity, or I am more defensive in mm -hmm. my equity positioning and just manage your expectations that this year could be a down year and that's okay. But I, which is why, Jim, some question about how you can be so positive, if not bullish, in the face of everything that Bryn just mentioned, that Jason Snipe just mentioned, the risk that Josh Brown brings to the table and have such a level of confidence that what is today is going to still be tomorrow, that a strong consumer today is going to be a strong consumer tomorrow, that corporate earnings, which are strong today, are still going to be strong tomorrow, that inflation, which is raging today, is not going to be raging tomorrow, and that the Fed is going to be aggressive, but we can absorb all of it. Yeah. Well, look, these are good points that are people are making. I'm, I, I can't dismiss them. That's not what I'm trying to do here. What I'm saying is that there are positive forces out there as well. And to me, they seem stronger than the negatives. OK, so let me be more specific. You know, if I were to take the guy who's most uh, antagonistic to me or opposite to me, not antagonistic, it's Mike Wilson. And he was on two days ago and he said, well, we might get a recession in 2023. You know what? It's March 24th of 2022. Initial jobless claims today were the lowest they've been since 1969. You got factories popping up all over the place. You got people traveling all over the country. I, I, I just I don't see the evidence. I'm not convinced on that negative case. And I already said to you that there are indications that inflation was rolling over. And those indications, like supply chain bottlenecks, continue outside of the Russia-Ukraine impact. So uh, let, me, let me also say one other thing, because this name or this term hero has come up a lot, and you once or twice have labeled me with it. Let me be clear. I'm not trying to be anybody's hero. I don't care if anybody thinks I'm their hero. What I am doing is finding opportunities in the stock market. And I don't care if it's Qualcomm, uh, you know, Paramount. I can go through a long list of names where I see the earnings much better than what the estimates are. And the stock prices have come down already reflecting the negatives that people see out there. So you got to you got to combine the price with these negatives and positives. That whole balance comes out and makes me very enthusiastic. I understand. About the but when you declare yourself, as you did, back to being Mr. All in, you want to bake that cake, you're going to eat it. I, I, I like the way it tastes, Scott. I do think we should retire Mr. All-In. I think it's getting a little old, but I'm not backing away from the fact that if I wanted to buy a new stock today, I would have to sell a stock. There's nothing in what I'm doing or saying that's backing away from being fully invested right now. So as far as eating my own cake, yum, yum, yum. Okay. Jason Snipe, I, 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 I see your caution in a stock move that you've made, and I want you to, to discuss it for our viewers. Um, you sold Disney, which, you know, is a really interesting move to make at, at this particular time. And I think it plays into your overall view of how you see the world right now. Tell us more. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I got impatient with Disney. I, I bought it, admittedly, at kind of 175, somewhere in that neighborhood. And it's been a loss. I've, I've only been in it for eight months. Um, you know, they were consolidating much of last year is down 14 percent. Uh, it's obviously down this year some as well. Uh, they had a nice quarter, nice print Q2, 
you know, revenue was up 34%, you know, had a triple in EPS growth. You know, but my concern around Disney is going forward, I think there's some margin headwinds here. Uh, there's some spending that they're going to be doing on Disney Plus. And, you know, guess what? The, the subs were great, you know, in the last quarter, but it's a fragmented industry. It's very difficult uh, to, to grow there. And, and I just think that there's places, there's other places in the market uh, for me to take that capital and spend. So I decided to get out and uh, unload it. Yeah. Josh, what do you think of that move? Getting out of Disney, even you get in at 175, you get out at one. I mean, let's just say today's price, even though today's price may not be the exact price in which Jason Snipe got out. But 175 to 140, we'll call it. I'll give him a couple bucks on the upside. Yeah, I, well, listen, I could see the argument for I could see the argument for making either case here. Disney's tough right now. I actually have a, a buy limit order in for Disney, but at a lower price than where it is and where it's been. We'll see if I ever get filled. Um, one way to think about Disney is people at the park last week reported that it's the most crowded uh, Disney has ever been in park history. Um, but you have to remind yourself that has nothing to do with the future. What that's about is two years worth of canceled trips. When you promise an eight-year-old that they're going to Disney and then you can't take them, uh, two years later, they're 10. They still want to go. So <laughs> I wouldn't look at that and say, oh, that's a sign that, you know, Disney's going to have blockbuster numbers going forward. I think they're getting a lot of catch-up business. Um, and then on the streaming side, look, we know from the way analysts are now valuing and looking at Netflix it's only going to get harder from here. It's not going to get easier. The honeymoon is now over for all of these streaming plays. The multiples on what each user is worth in on Wall Street, uh, that's changing. And the amount of competition and what that's going to mean in terms of marketing spend, content spend, discounting, that, that piece is changing too. So if those are the two drivers... Uh, for Disney, and we know movie theater box office is going to stay hit or miss maybe for the rest of our lives, it makes it a more challenging high conviction play. So I get what Jason's doing. Um, I'm not in it currently. I might end up in the stock at lower prices. We'll see. You give us, um, can you give us a more specific idea at the price that you, you have? No. You just won't. Remember the uh, you remember National Lampoons when they go to uh, uh, Vegas downtown? They start playing games like flip a coin and which hand is the? Uh, it, it's not what we're doing here. So I'm at, I'm at the tables, Judge. Okay, I understand. You tell us after the fact then. At least keep us up to date on if it happens and when and and and, and what price you ended up getting Disney at. Um, I want to talk about some moves that Bryn made as well. Um, you've been in the Jeppy before. You bought more of Jeppy. You bought more of the uranium mining uh, ETF. You bought Archer Daniels calls, which has been uh, a focus on our show as Joe bought uh, that yesterday. Let's start with Archer Daniels. The, if you look, if you pull up the chart, I mean, the stock has just done exceptional. I was late to this, late to this trade. Um, I bought the calls. I bought it when the stock was at 85. I bought in the money leaps. And so because I knew I was late to the game, I wanted some more some more juice and so I bought, bought the calls. But I think with Archer Daniels, that really plays into my, my commodity bucket with lithium, uranium, my energy stocks. But I think that we're gonna be in this like tight agriculture market for quite a while. You know, Archer Daniels is, is a wonderful company in that space that they're full vertical. Their dividends should be 30 to 35% of earnings. They're doing share buybacks. 
So I think it's the right kind of company at the right price. I think it hit an all-time high today. So it may pull back a couple points, but technically it looks really strong. And I think the space they're in. Uranium, you know, I talk about covered calls. Uh, we've been in uranium for a year, the, the ETF. It has a lot of volatility. And so I bought some more uranium at 80. And then I sold the 90 April calls like one month from now and got 4%. And I still have about 12% upside on the stock. So I continue to try to make you know, our clients' money with cover calls and my money sweat for me. And when you can find names that you like that have good call premium, I think this is just a wonderful, wonderful, rich opportunity to do that. Okay, and give me the, um, the equity premium ETF from JP Morgan, the JEPI, which you've talked about before, but just remind people why you like it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's one of our biggest positions, uh, me personally, as well as with our clients. And we run covered calls ourselves, but what, J what JP Morgan does is they buy a basket of really equally weighted, um, about 100 high quality dividend yielding names in the S&P. And then they sell, they sell like three to 5% out of the money S&P calls. And what's interesting is I just looked at the 30 day SEC yield yesterday, it was around 11%. And so as volatility has gone up, they're able to sell higher premiums, which then we in turn collect. So to me, it's just a wonderful dividend um, pre, you know, premium strategy that gives clients multiple ways to make money, especially in this kind of market that's down. They're still generating that 9, 10, 11, 12% income per year, which is wonderful. Two stocks we need to discuss. Um, Alaska Air Group, Farmer Jim is up uh, two and three quarters percent today. The company is uh, hosting its investor day today. CEO is on Squawk with, with Phil LeBeau. You continue to love this name? Yeah, I do. Um, now, it's part of the overall theme here, which I'm trying to illustrate that things are going pretty well in the economy here in the U.S. This, this economy is expanding. And because of that, Alaska Airlines is increasing its capacity. It's going to be above 2019 levels very soon. And this, this now caps about two weeks worth of airlines pre-announcing well into the Russia-Ukraine war, okay? Pre-announcing much better than expected demand. Uh, and they're handling, uh, they're handling fuel prices very well because they're raising prices and passengers are paying for it. So, I mean, I get everything that we're talking about from a big picture point of view. When you come down to the microscopic point of view of Alaska Airlines, a stock in my portfolio, it is benefiting very well in this environment. And I see that across a lot of my stocks. But That's see, why I, I'm positive. I feel like, of course, you're, you're, you're positive and you have reason to, to be so. But I do have some sense that you're dismissive of some of the issues that exist potentially tomorrow and, and not I'm glad, today. I'm glad you're saying this. Like I'm margins? I'm glad you're saying this, like Scott. Mar you point to margins? No, no. Scott, I'm not being dismissive. I want to make this clear. I'm not being dismissive. I completely see them. I see what Josh, I was, I was watching you yesterday when Josh talked about, hey, the Fed is raising rates aggressively into a slowing environment. I get it. I'm not being dismissive of it. I recognize it. I also recognize the positives that I'm talking about. And what I'm saying is when you put these together, for me, the weight is heavier on the positives than the negatives. I promise you, I'm not being dismissive. No, but I mean, it's not factoring the negatives are not factoring in in any way, it seems, into the decision making of why you like certain stocks today. If I tell you, well, Jim, what happens if margins uh, aren't the same tomorrow? You're like, yes, yeah, Scott, but they're great today. If I say, yeah, Jim, but what if okay, earnings Scott, are? Well, if, um, let me finish. If I say, but yeah, Jim, but earnings uh, are likely to fall from here, 
It's like, yes, Scott, but they're great today. I see everything great today. Tomorrow doesn't seem to matter. Scott, I, I, I have not made myself clear. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. If Alaska Airlines is raising its capacity, if all of the airlines are raising their capacity and their prices in the face of rising fuel, it implies to me that their margins are going to be just fine for the future. I mean, this is the, these data points coming out of the airlines are unmitigatedly positive for the future. Yes, things could get bad, but the evidence to me indicates that things are getting better, not worse in the airlines. Josh Brown, your, your, your perspective is what? And then I want to talk to you, Josh, about Uber and the big announcement they make today. But take this issue on first. The issue of airlines and fuel no, prices I mean, it's a, or it's just not airlines. It's, I'm not trying to even be as so specific to the airlines, even though we're discussing that issue now. I'm talking about a lot of the positive catalysts that Jim cites, whether that story holds up, as I think you think is suspect. Margins, earnings, look, input look, costs. Yeah, look, look, this could be, to me, this could be one of those years where the economy outperforms the stock market. What do I mean by that? It's really hard to have a recession with 10 million open jobs. Like, very, very, very hard. Um, however, it's not hard for there to be multiple contraction and negative earnings revisions for the next three quarters because the Fed decides it needs to continue to push down on what, what are known as financial conditions. And that's meaningful. So I don't think it's an emergency situation. You're going to have a trillion dollars in stock buybacks. The Fortune 500 will be just fine in that scenario. Um, but you could end up in a situation where, for the average person, the economy is much better than whatever happens in their 401k. And as I've said repeatedly, I would, I would take that trade 10 times out of 10. We're coming off of 100% returns off the March 2020 lows, which was just two years ago yesterday. So if we have to take a time out and allow for the labor market to stay tight and, and, and the economy to continue to heal, if stocks need to take a break, I'm cool with that. If bond returns need to suffer because rates are going up uh, and, and yields are going higher, prices are going lower, I'm cool with that, too. Okay. Most of my clients are cool with that. Give They're me wealthy people. So I'm just talking about expectations maybe need to get under control, given all of the work the Fed has to okay. try to do here to normalize the Give environment. Give me 30 seconds and no more, not 30 minutes. 30 seconds on Uber, this move today. What's the significance of the news today and more news that may come down the road elsewhere? Well, it's one of the better performing stocks in the market today, so I guess that's a good thing. I'm not sure that this really solves uh, the issues that they're going to have long term. This is really a company that needs automation and driverless to come sooner rather than later, um, you know, in order for this platform to really realize its full potential. And we're still years away from that. Okay. We'll take a quick break. Up next, we have trades on some of the biggest analyst stock calls of the day, including a bullish note on one of Farmer Jim's favorites. It's up 10% just today. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. 
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. NATO leaders are extending the term of Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg for an extra year. Due to the security crisis sparked by Russia's war on Ukraine, the news comes as he and President Biden met in Brussels today ahead of the emergency summit between NATO leaders and the G7. A former New York prosecutor who was leading a criminal investigation into former President Trump stated that he believes Trump is, quote, guilty of numerous felony violations. In the resignation letter of Mark Pomerantz, published by The New York Times, he voiced his displeasure towards the new Manhattan district attorney for not pursuing an indictment of Trump. New York Mayor, meantime, Eric Adams is rolling back the city's vaccine mandate for athletes and local performers. Individuals no longer need to be vaccinated to play in city venues and stadiums, although the mandate will remain in place for private workers and also government employees. And for in-depth coverage of the mayor's decision, tune into the news with Shepard Smith tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And an industrial fire at a potato factory in Maine forced the evacuations of schools and nursing homes in the nearby area. The fire destroyed part of the processor. Officials now have the fire under control and no one was hurt. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Appreciate that very much, Rahel Solomon. All right, shares of Cleveland Cliffs surging almost 10% today as J.P. Morgan reiterates it as their top pick. It's one of our calls of the day. Um, Jim Labenthal, obviously, it's yours. I'm not going to mention who sold it recently and provoke an outburst on Twitter or anywhere else. We know who we're talking about. We're not even going to mention his name. We're not even going to mention his name. Voldemort. Because he generally watches this I, show. I, agree. I just don't want to deal with it. I agree. I agree. It's been a rough go for that guy anyway. Um, $44 look, this, before, is their price target now. They raise it from 37 yeah. They say it's a clear top Let's pick. do a little... Let's do a little tutorial on stock analysis and stock picking, okay? You go back a week ago and they presented at the JP Morgan Industrials Conference and they told you something there. They told you they did 588 million of EBITDA in January. The analyst estimates for the first quarter EBITDA are $1.3 billion. So they almost did half of that estimate in January when steel prices were depressed. And now you're post Ukraine when steel prices are surging they're gonna blow these estimates out of the water. And you could have picked that up last week, and if you didn't go to the conference, you could have picked it up on Monday when JP Morgan put it in published research. This is all public data. You can do this work if you're a stock picker. Now, you can do more stock picker work. You can go back to the fourth quarter earnings report. 
After that report, the stock was down 10%, okay? And that was about 35 percentage points ago. Everybody got down on the stock because they did some maintenance in the fourth quarter, which was the smartest thing to do because all of their orders are coming in in the first quarter. So get the maintenance done so you can produce at a breakneck speed when prices are going up. It all comes down to excellent management. Lorenzo Gonzalez is truly a genius. But if you are a stock picker and you're doing more than just looking your finger and putting it in the wind, but you're looking at 10 Qs and you're talking to management, you can find these things out. Well, I mean, obviously not everybody can talk to management and have some of the access that people like you have. Let me ask you this. I have, I have no material non-public information. I this is important. I, I, I have I'm no material non-public information. I, I'm not suggesting in any way that, that you did, and um, I didn't mean it to be portrayed okay. that way at all. Just, just I'm saying that not everybody yep. has access to be able to talk to the CEO. That, that's just a fact. Uh, yes, but through Reg FD, anything that management says to me has to be publicly disseminated. Let me let me be more helpful here, Scott. There is nothing that indicates these results are going to turn down in the future. Okay, not which, with the amount of infrastructure and factories being built. Which then answers my next question: thirty-two dollars forty-nine cents. That's what the stock hit today. Uh, a new fifty-two week high. You're comfortable telling people today to buy this stock fresh here. Well, remember, I hold this, and this is my largest position. Haven't sold a share, even though it's up something like 800% over the last two years. Would I add more today? No, I'd wait for a pullback. But okay. I'm not selling today. I think this is a mid to high 30 stock before I sell a share. Two totally different questions. Um, whether you would sell it today versus whether somebody who's watching you today, as much conviction as you have, should buy it today. Those are two entirely different conversations. Now. Let's if move. you don't own it, you should nibble. I thought you just said you should wait till it pulls back. Yeah, well, you know what? Nibble a little bit. Let it pull back and add to it. If I'm not selling a share and I think it's going to the mid to high 30s at 31.95, which is where it is right now, if you do not own shares, you can buy it right here. Okay. I knew this dude was a nibbler. Okay. Um, all right. Let's talk about other calls that J.P. Morgan made today. Um, they lower their estimates on Ford and GM. They lower their uh, estimates on lower production, higher commodities, and greater reimbursement of supplier costs. They still maintain overweight on both Ford and General Motors. They cut the price target in Ford uh, by a buck. No big whoop. Uh, on General Motors, they cut it by five bucks to 75 from 80. Josh, you first. We know that Jim uh, owns this stock, but so do you in terms of General Motors. Yeah, this feels late-ish. This stock's down 20 points from its January 4th high. I don't really understand uh, what they think has already been priced in, if not exactly what they're saying today. None of this is a secret. The whole world understands that the cost structure has gone up. We're all clear on that. I think that's been more than discounted um, into the share price in just the last three months. I, I'm assuming Jim agrees. Maybe. I know Jim is going to be yeah, positive well, on it. He's well. going to tell you all the 55 reasons as to why you should own General Motors. Jason Snipe, you don't own any of these automakers. Why? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I used to own auto parts uh, last summer, you know, so obviously that was kind of on the on the play of, you know, everything had been shut down. Well, actually, two summers ago when everything was shut down and everyone's kind of working on their cars. But generally speaking, I could agree with this call. You know, with with input costs going up on, on obviously all the the intimate uh, you know parts that go into these cars, you know, and, and and raising the price of them, 
you know, yeah, I mean, I, I could totally see how this might not work. And, you know, we, we just haven't been in autos for almost two years now. So okay. that's really our play there. Fair enough. And I, look, I, I know one of the reasons why Jim is positive is because of the EV play that especially General Motors provides. So I'm looking at these comments today to our producer from one Bryn Talkington, who said, and I quote, these companies are not delivering any electric vehicles. Tesla is actually making them and selling them. That's why I don't own Ford or GM. I own a Tesla car, and Jim is still waiting for his caddy. Those are her words to the producer, word for word. Bryn, I'll let you expand on that, and then I'll let Jim have a crack at this apple. Yeah, we're, we're a multi-car family, but I definitely love the technology uh, that Elon Musk has. I think GM, Jim will correct me or Josh if I'm wrong, I think GM delivered 26, e 26 like 26 EVs in the fourth quarter of 2021. And I don't know if Ford delivered any. I know GM delivered one Hummer. So they are talking about this and they're going to do it eventually. But they're not, and I think investors are investing, waiting for that to happen. But you don't go from delivering 26 in one quarter to 200,000 in the next quarter. And so the way we are playing this is through LIT, which is a Global X lithium ETF that invests not only in companies like Albemarle and the other lithium miners, but you also get the battery producers. And so to me, I want to buy what's under the hood that is in high demand versus I think what's going to be a low margin business that is yet to even play out. I also want to correct something. It says GM target on your screen cut to 22. It's Ford that was cut to 22. Um, GM was cut to 75 uh, from 80. So I just want to make sure we, uh, we're all on the same page there. All right, Jim. Ball's yours. I'll give you the keys. How about that? Go ahead. Well, based on today's performance from everyone, I think the only person who's going to go for a ride with me in my new Lyric when it gets delivered is Jason Snipe. Okay? So, Jason, you and I will go out. We'll have a good time. Um, but actually, Bryn makes a fabulous point. I am still waiting on my Lyric, and that does bother me. In the meantime, the legacy uh, internal combustion business is going strong. Now, there's a big problem with production. We know that, right? Because of semiconductors and palladiums. But the last several quarters have shown that you can generate record earnings at these companies, even at these low production levels, because people need cars. The demand is there, and they need pickup trucks for all the factories that are being built out there. So earnings are going to hang in there because of higher prices that offset lower volumes. Okay, coming up, Pete Najarian, not on the show today, doesn't matter. He's calling in to reveal unusual activity. Maybe we'll even see him. I don't know if he's calling or not. But he is coming on with his latest trades, and we'll do that next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. 
Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I mentioned Pete was going to be here with unusual activity, and in fact, there he is, and he's not on the phone. I can see his face right there. Hey, Pete, what do you got? Hey, it's great to see you, Scott. I will tell you, uh, the first one I've got for you is Schlumberger. Now, you know how much oil exposure I have. It's really probably by far now the most exposure I've ever had in oil. And when I look at what I've got in terms of right now, in terms of all my option positions, by far it stands out the very most. It's incredible how much there's been. Schlumberger was hitting back at the start of March. Stock was trading about 38.30 at the time. Now up at uh, close to $43 a share. We're seeing some huge buyers, but they're also buying a little bit of time, Scott. They bought 9,200 of the June 45 calls paying close to $3 for these calls. That's a pretty big trade. This name has hit four separate times so far in the month of March. So still looking for a little bit more energy to go to the upside. And obviously, we've been watching crude. Everybody's been watching it every single day. Secondly, I've got a pretty interesting one that I think Jim will probably like as well, Intel. And what we're seeing in there is we're, we're seeing some really big positive moves in the last month, but we're also seeing some big option positioning as well. They were in the April 52 and a half calls. They've rolled out of those and now buying the April 22nd 55 calls. 10,000 of those were bought today. Fairly inexpensive, talking about just a 30-cent option. I already own the stock, but I added these calls today as well. I like what we're seeing here, and I really like what we heard from the NVIDIA CEO talking about, hey, they would use uh, Intel to actually get the source of where they're getting their chips from in the future. So that was, uh, I think, a pretty good endorsement for Intel as well. All right. Good stuff, Pete. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it, as always. Farmer Jim, I'll give you a word on Intel if you want to take it. Stock's up 5% today. I think you deserve it. Well, yeah, you know, I I don't own the stock. I keep looking at it. I talk to my team. And every time I present it to my team, they say, well, why not NVIDIA? Why not NVIDIA? And again, this news that NVIDIA is going to outsource the manufacturing to Intel, I'd rather be in NVIDIA, which is where I am. Every time I try to make the case, uh, just the logic points me to NVIDIA. Got to give a hat tip to Josh, man. This has been his baby. Oh, oh, how times have changed for one Jim Leventhal. They have. It was painful. Did you guys Those cover days this, were painful. Did you guys, Judge, did you guys cover this NVIDIA uh, GTC conference, <laughs> the highlights? Like, are we even going to get to this? Give me, a, because, give, me, give me a thought on it. Honestly, well, <laughs> they're, they're guiding us toward a software business, software business that could be like a $300 billion market. And they rolled out three AI chips. One of them is a chipset. But the, the transformation that's about to take place in every single industry on Earth related to AI, honestly, feels, it feels like we're in the first inning of the Internet all over again. Like another Internet-esque opportunity. And NVIDIA is sitting in the center of the entirety of the whole thing. Whether it's whether it's uh, data center or or AI, like all of these applications that have to be built, they're really like a one-stop shop, and they dominate every version that you could imagine might happen. 
and it's it's scary what the potential is. So yeah, it's an expensive stock. It always has been. It never will. It never won't be. Um, but this is a company where the fundamentals have been catching up to the, the valuation pretty much every year. Okay. So I just I thought that this was a remark. If you don't know the Nvidia story, go on YouTube. And and look at what they had to say about what they're working on now. Big winner, and then today. come talk to me. Nine percent for Nvidia today. Coming up, BlackRock's Larry Fink says Russia's war is ending decades of globalization. Talk about if he's right, what that means for how you might invest in the future. We'll do it next. Following the money on the half. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. If BlackRock CEO Larry Fink is correct and the Russian invasion of Ukraine really does mark the end of globalization as we know it, what are the implications for the way we will invest in the years to come. Our Leslie Picker always following the money for us and she has that angle. And look, I thought the most interesting passage in this in this letter from Mr. Fink uh, was the following for at least our, our purposes. Companies and governments will also be looking more broadly at their dependencies on other nations. He wrote this may lead to companies to onshore or nearshore more of their operations, resulting in a faster pullback for some countries. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, as you sort of turn inward. Mm -hmm what the implications for investors would be? It's a great question. And I think investors are really scratching their heads about how this happened so quickly, because it's one of those situations, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on, you know, or shame on you, shame on you. You don't know the yeah, saying that you. I'm going. But investors right now, if you were invested in Russian securities, their stock market just reopened on a select number of securities for the first time in a month. If you're an investor who traverses in liquid securities, that's that's devastating for you. That's totally liquid. Same thing with the bonds. You can't find buyers for those bonds if you want to sell them. So if you take Russia as an example of a market and what can happen essentially overnight due to the actor of, of the head of state and, you know, extrapolate that to other areas, it makes investing elsewhere in certain pockets of the world even more risky. I'm even thinking of, you know, if, if there is this turn inward um, from companies here or even, you know, in, in investors, what it, what it does to things like labor costs, mm -hmm. um, the flow of capital. You know, Jim Labenthal, you, you say you completely agree with Larry Fink and you point to things like chips and the, the supply of chips and where we get them from as an example of how things have and will continue to change. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're moving out of Southeast Asia into Ohio, Austin, Texas, and Arizona. It's not just chips. I mean, we're trying to, we're trying to get rare earth elements out of the control of China by uh, producing at the MP site in California. We're going to be building more uranium mines. We're building more electric vehicle battery factories. Just everything is coming back to the U.S. because, frankly, we've found international suppliers to be less than trustworthy. Yeah. Good things to think about. Um, I wish we had more time to discuss. Medicine We're so tight too. on time, uh, Les. I appreciate it very much. That's Leslie Picker, and we'll continue to follow this story. I know you will. Final trades are next. Four o'clock Eastern time in overtime. Jeremy Siegel, Wharton School professor of finance. We'll go head to head on the markets. We'll get his current view, what he thinks about this rally, whether it's about to evaporate. I look forward to speaking with Mr. Siegel later today in overtime. Final trades now. Bryn, first. 
Devo. It's another high-quality dividend covered call strategy. Okay. Jason Snipe. NVIDIA, screaming innovation, really strong investor day, trillion-dollar TAM, stay long here. Yeah, big day for that stock, as Josh Brown told you. Josh, speaking of. Uh, Amazon just erased a 20% sell-off to start the year. I think the stock has been de-risked. Interesting. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, Jim Labenthal. Wind Resort's trying to break out. Guys, thank you. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.